0: Josie? I'll go ahead and jump in so I plan to just share some thoughts with you guys um, until one thirty ish of course
1: that's you- your time not ours hopefully
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone just check that Must be, I am not that long that would never happen but not one thirty your time that would be 11:30. 11:30.
2: Okay.
0: yeah yeah um, So, yeah, feel free to unmute and ask questions. Um, I am going to share via PowerPoint. So for those of you who love that, awesome. For those of you who don't, just bear with me. Um, But hopefully having some words on the screen might help or help you remember certain things. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you. And give me a, a thumb up if you can see it. Awesome! Thanks, Louis. Thanks, Dave. Okay, great. So, um, I want to piggyback on what Louis talked about in the first session, and kind of fleshing out more. He gave a, a couple great stories, but fleshing out even more of what it means to be a friend, and the role that friendship plays in disciple making. My the way I'm going to frame it is through the theme of hospitality and I know some of you mentioned or one at least mentioned like loving to open your home and and using that space as a means to invite people in and to serve people um, and I want to take that idea but I want to broaden it exponentially um, and thinking about hospitality of ourselves not just a space in time, but of ourselves. So uh, I want to start from the beginning because that is the impetus for y- moving forward the way we're instructing you or the way we're advising you or the way we're just like sharing with you. There's always a place that comes from. There's a motivation. And so I want to start from the beginning and I want to talk to you guys about the The hospitality of the Trinity. Um, So I'm going to read some of this, skim some of this, but it's here for you guys to just follow along and for me to use as a guide. But hospitality is an expression of the heart and nature of God. It is a picture of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inviting outsiders to become part of the family of God. Even in the very beginning in Genesis, you see that God created a place, a garden. It was a home to Adam and Eve, and it it was their welcome. And anything in that garden apart from that one tree was given to Adam and Eve, and just the generosity of God in that. Also, in the New Testament, it talks about in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. And that idea of us being adopted into his family, that he opened up himself um, and welcomed us as outsiders and as as enemies of his, that he opened up, they opened up themselves to us to invite us into uh, that union that Louis was talking about, um, to be adopted into the family of God. Um, and then also the feasting together with God in eternity and that and, and so it's here and now, but the hospitality of God didn't just start in the garden and ends there or ends even with us here and now, but it's an eternal hospitality as well. Um, whoops, you guys can see me okay and everything? Okay, we were first a guest, our being a recipient. First informs how we invite and how we host others. So God's welcome and generosity is the stick we measure and evaluate our own lifestyles of hospitality. We don't look um, necessarily to one another or to our culture, but we look first and foremost at the hospitality of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and how we were first the recipient of that. And how that should inform how we extend an invitation to someone else and how we host other people. Um, also, of course, Jesus, right? Um, his earthly ministry while he was among us. Um, you see, so much of what he did was done at the table. The wedding feast in Cana, his you know, his first miracle, his first sign in um, the book of John. Of course, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and um, the meal shared with the tax collector, Levi, and um, that should say uh, Shabbat there. Uh, But, you know, in the Jewish custom, every Friday, it was time spent with others around a table uh, with food. So the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and that was the reputation that was established for him. Um, But even more than just the behavior, we see um, an attitude, right, of come to me, come to me and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And then to me, especially this past Easter, just that idea of what happened on the cross and one of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible is, in Matthew 27, uh, when Jesus cried out his last, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And that is a beautiful picture of Jesus through Jesus, us having full access to God. Um, it couldn't be more hospitable than that, right? That, um, yeah, that beautiful picture of that, curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place where only very special people could enter into, there is a keep out sign there. That curtain was a keep out sign that people couldn't get beyond that point. But once Jesus died, um, that curtain was torn in two. And then we have full access to God and how hospitable that is and how incredible that is. And of course, the eternal part of the hospitality too. Louis mentioned this, in my father's house are many work rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. And in the Holy Spirit, we know as believers that the Holy Spirit indwells in us. He lives with us. He lives in us. And it says in Ephesians, then Christ will make home in your hearts as you trust in him. And to me, that just exemplifies the intimacy and the the pursuit of God on our lives and wanting to be near us, wanting us to know him and us wanting to be known by him. A book that we would recommend is Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. I love this quote because it just fits perfectly here. Um, the, the author says, hospitality is not so much a task, um, and I actually put in there, or an event, as a way of living our lives and of sharing ourselves. Hospitality is a response of love and gratitude for God's welcome to us. And again, taking that idea of hospitality, and often we just think of it as using our home, but wanting to broaden that scope and say, am I a hospitable person? Whether I'm in my home or not, am I a hospitable person? And so how does the hospitality we experience in the Trinity inform our go and make disciples of all nations? And this is kind of what I want to camp out on for the remainder of what I want to share with you today. So the thought behind this, or what I propose, is that your disciple needs access to your life. If we've learned anything about the hospitality of the Trinity, um, they have completely opened themselves up to us as outsiders and have given us full access to God, um, you know, through Jesus Christ, that our disciple needs access to our lives. And I want to talk about that in three ways. Your disciple needs access to your time, access to your space, and access to yourself. And I'm going to start um, with the first one. And I just want to share with you guys a story about a friend of mine. Um, her name is Anne. And she and I met when we were both grad school students in Chicago. Um, we became quick friends. We were around the same age. She was is a few years older than me. Um, after grad school, we decided that we wanted to live together. So we moved into an apartment on the north side of Chicago, along with another friend of ours. And uh, yep, we lived there. And I started to work a, a full-time job after grad school, and I worked downtown Chicago. So That meant I got up, I walked 12 minutes to the train station, I hopped on a train, I went partway, then I transferred to another train um, to go the rest of the way, then I would get off the train platform and I would walk, maybe like a five minute walk to my work. So a little bit of an, an involved commute. Um... And my friend, Anne, at the time, she had been a nurse for a number of years, and so she built up some good rapport with her employer and was able to have a pretty great schedule where she worked three days and she was off four days. Um, But my friend, Anne, decided that on her days off, she would wake up early before the sun came up and she would get out of her bed, especially her warm bed on cold cold Chicago winter days, which you guys know about cold winter days, that's the last thing you want to do is get out of your warm bed. She would get out of her warm bed and she would commute with me, my awful commute. She would commute with me down to my work and she had no business downtown. So she would then commute back home by herself. And at the time being, you know, both working full time and we were both engaged to be married at that point. So we were planning weddings and then, of course, all the other things that you know, young people are involved with. Uh, you know, we didn't have a ton of time, but she she valued our friendship. She valued me enough to wake up early on her days off after she worked twelve hour shifts on her feet, and she would commute with me downtown, and then just come back. And during that commute, we would, of course, talk about what was going on in our lives and what was important, and Um, Of course, we were getting married, so there was a lot of talk about that. But primarily, our focus on the commute was just reading God's word together and praying together. And um, at first, it was a little strange, to be honest. Um, I was like, I don't know why she would be doing this. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. And I sort of was a bit guarded about it at first. Um, But just as Louie mentioned, she was just showing me the way of love. And that is laying down your life for your friends. And um, her great sacrifice, it came at a cost to her, of course, but the cost that that was to her, it produced so much fruit in our friendship. But for me personally, it produced a lot of fruit in me, in just rooting me in the Word of God and praying the Word of God with a girlfriend. Um, It was just it was incredible and I still thank her to this day even though we don't live in the same city anymore um, for that sacrifice of time and um, I feel like that is rare to see that much anymore these days. Um, So I'm going to share my screen with you again here. Um, Because it's hard to make disciples in a culture where the most important value is me. Um, busyness is seen as a badge of honor. Um, exhaustion is a status, status symbol. Um, product, productivity is self-worth. I don't know how many times um, you'll ask somebody, oh, how was your week or how was your day? And how many times do people respond with busy? Oh, I was so busy. Like this is going on and this, and I was running here and running there, and that word busy. And maybe less so now because of you know the stay-at-home orders. But generally speaking, I feel like we have a very hyper-scheduled, fast-paced culture. We have very little room for margin in our lives. Um, but we derive our self-worth from our productivity and from our exhaustion and from being busy. But how that is how that is a threat or an inhibitor to love and friendship. Um, I have your self obsession and busyness, but really, you know, busyness could encapsulate the self obsession too. Um, so, I don't know how many of you are fans of or have participated in anything that Dave Ramsey does. Anybody? A few years ago, Ryan and I, along with Louie and other people in our community, decided to sit down and take an honest look at our finances and uh, work together to do that. And we decided we were going to use Dave Ramsey and that he could guide us through that. And if you don't know Dave Ramsey, he's, you know, a real get it done type of guy. He wants to get people out of debt and he wants us to be good stewards of our money. Um, So he talks about auditing our finances and his big thing is a budget, right? you got to have a budget and a budget is just telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Okay, budgets keep us on the mark. They keep us in line. They keep us moving towards our goal, but you don't establish a budget before you establish your goals right? Is your goal to get out of debt? Is it to save a couple thousand dollars to invest in a new car? What are your goals? Is it retirement? Um, And then based on your goals, you establish your budget. Um, So what I've been doing the past couple years is this practice of doing a time audit. And it's not a one and done thing. I revisit it pretty regularly. Um, and just want to share it with you so the idea with this time audit is an intentional promotion of what we most value and then the removal of anything that distracts from it. So again, like with the finances, you set your goals and then you tell your dollars where to go. Well, the same way you set your goals, what are your values in life? And then you tell your minutes and your hours where to go so that those minutes and hours align with our values because i have gotten through a day or through a week and i've been like well where did the time go that week just flew by or even at the end of a end of a year and you're pondering the year and you're like man that went by quick or if you're like celebrating a birthday and you're kind of reflecting on on the year and sometimes it's hard to pinpoint what happened because it all kind of went went past me like a blur. And so this is just being intentional with your time and telling your minutes and your hours where to go. Because if we're saying we value disciple making and we want to be a part of the great commission of making disciples of all nations and we want to be present in our circle, we have spheres of influence. How can we be present? How can we look around us and see who can I disciple? who is around me? Well, if we talk about that as it relates to the relational aspect of love and friendship, we know that a lot of that is our time. And it's giving people access to ourselves, to our time, which is hard to do because as Americans, as North Americans, um, we, we see time as a commodity and it's time to be spent. It's time to be wasted. And so it's hard to give up our time, and it's a challenge for me many times, Um, and it feels like a sacrifice, and it is. Um, But if disciple-making in a relational way is important to us, and that's a value of ours, then we determine how we spend our time based off of that great value that we have. So you start with the end in mind, and you work backwards. So I wanna just open it up to you guys. What are, just in terms of the big idea of giving people access to your time, um, if anybody wants to interact with that at all, or if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you guys. I got a question. Yeah.
3: Um, So, so I have this friend who runs a business and is really busy. I think he spends only seven days a week at his business. (laughs) Wow. Um, So, um, and so how do you, how do you, uh, you know, I mean, we've had them out, we've had them out for supper, but you know, we don't expect to be asked back because they just don't have time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so how do you, how do you build into their, how, how do you build into their life when, they're so involved in doing what they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, oh. that's a great question. And in a similar but different way, um, Brad, I would say we've run into some of that too with just connecting with other young families. Mm-hmm. Uh, families are really, really busy these days. They have lots of activities and lots of events, and they don't usually have dinner together because, you know, one parent is taking one kid here and the other parents taking a kid there and there's school, of course, that needs to happen too. So in a similar way, we've, we've run into, you know, how do you pursue people? How do you engage with people when they're so busy? Um, I don't have a great answer for you, but I feel like there is really great, um, Value in the pursuit of a friendship. Um, You may not get an invitation to go to their house for dinner. They may not have capacity for that. They haven't chosen capacity for that, but that doesn't mean you don't choose that. That's not a value of yours. And so keep inviting, especially if they're a couple or a person that you really do want to invest in. You just keep accepting the invitation.
4: Well, and I, can you guys hear me? The, I I think to keeping the long game, uh, you know, disciple making, like I said, three years and that I don't think I get anywhere with the guys or people or even couples I'm discipling. It takes probably a year and a half, um, to get there. And part of it is, um, they are busy because they're barren. Okay. That's, that's why they're working seven hours a week. And there's, a, there's a, a relational problem there. There's a, a spiritual health problem, an emotional health problem. You know, I think God has put the whole world on a, a, a Shabbat, a Sabbath, with the virus, you know? I think that's, he's getting us back into rhythm with creation, which is a reflection of his essence. And what Sabbath is, is reconnecting to creation, reconnecting to God, and reconnecting to our relationships. And so the disciple-making process, <clears throat> if, if I waited to disciple people who were coming to me to be discipled, I'd have no disciples.
3: Mm-hmm. Or
4: if I would say after three months, go, man, he ain't getting it. <laughs> you know, look at the disciples with Jesus. He's God, and they didn't get it. And and so it's, it's the love, and that's why I think um, she'll get into this more a little bit, it's inviting them into your life like you did into your home and seeing your marriage. And it's not going to be a aha moment one time over time. Uh, that's where they, their shields start coming down. Mm-hmm. And, and you can tell when the shields are starting to come down, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, think that busyness is also a layer of protection think people can busy themselves because they're protecting themselves. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to have those deep conversations. They just want to um, avoid that. So again, as Louie mentioned, it's over time. It's not instant and it takes per- patient persistence and a continuation of just inviting and inviting, and inviting, even if it's not reciprocated. If I can oh. jump in, I don't know. you hear me? Yeah. Mm
5: -hmm. Um, I think that's where we get stuck sometimes. And I know I've had relationships that have got stuck there where you feel like you offer or you give and you give and, and it doesn't come back. And so you start to feel that, oh, well, maybe they don't want they don't um, maybe want the relationship or, or whatever. You're you're waiting for it to be to come back to you instead of saying that maybe them not reaching back is at a you know that they're in a place of where they they don't have that capacity. So I think it's um, I've been challenged lately to restore those relationships and to just doesn't matter what their response is. But to be available and to reach out, and and it's it's actually been very exciting, um, how how that's gone. So, um, and I, I just liked how you um, <clears throat> kind of linked time to money, like as a commodity, and that um, I think s- some of our um, maybe not being available to people is fear that they're going to come and. Want us to do this and this and this um, and being just used and like uh, the other Carol was saying earlier that they just want to use her for things rather than have a relationship and I think if we can just take fear out of the picture and just relating back to money like we wouldn't let people come and just reach their hand in and then take from our bank accounts but um with our time um just to realize that we can give freely without fear that and and I don't know how you work it all out but fear that people are going to come and rob you now because you've opened yourself up a little bit i think we we have to be who we want to be mm-hmm. and uh just be able to give generously mm-hmm. I don't know well, if that
4: makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, that again, that's why it's so important to do it in community where other people who are also discipling, and you can run stuff by them. Um, I'm stuck with this person, or I'm at the point where I don't know if I should just give up on it. And then having different people. Die- we die That's what we do. We dialogue on that stuff. Um, and, and, bit, and some of that's for your own protection. You don't get overwhelmed by somebody. Cause you do, there will be those people who will just choke you to death, you know, and having other people intervene or to help protect. Because again, you're, you're, you're engrafting that person into belonging to a community. It's not just, it's just not one-on-one at Starbucks, you know, or Tim Hortons, whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's engrafting them into the community of God, just like Jesus did with the twelve. How do you gauge that, Louis, in terms of
3: timing? Because for most people, participating in a community is a foreign concept. I mean, I mean, obviously, language might be tricky. But um, if they're if they're having trouble entrusting themselves to you, how are they going to entrust themselves to a bunch of people they don't know?
4: Well, in some ways, it'd be just. I would say just the sometimes it's your love for one another that someone knows your disciple. When they when they see two of you couples having a cookout and having someone over your disciple and they see your friendships, they go, what is that? I want to belong. I would love to belong to something like that, you know, and and in them into, you know, the relationships that we have. Um, And that, and that's scary to them often, but it's also the very thing they're longing for. And that's why they you may talk
3: about this, but in terms of, you know, because,
4: Often when we have a church mindset, we're thinking in terms of well, we do churchy stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily what you're talking about. No, I'm talking about fully. relationship in the home where you can talk around the dinner table and they can see you, you know, um, your friendship. They'll they'll know that, oh, I'm watching a friendship here that's been around for a long time. And then they're kind of including me in, you know, to the discussion, or they seem to want me here. You know. And again, this takes a long time and it's not a classroom activity and again everything i'm describing to you is what i've learned the hard way because i was trained just the opposite i was trained as a pastor to have a professional distance from my people that's how i was trained as a pastor not giving them access to my life i was taught just the opposite don't let them in
2: If, if i could just go back to um uh, Brad's um, uh, question related to um, what do you do if someone is not reciprocating? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in my experience, um, it's, if that is where uh, you talked about two people but having God in the, in, in the mix. Um, and in my experience, that's where the Holy Spirit um,
1: sure.
2: comes and sure. that's where you you trust um, the Holy Spirit. And so in my experience, um, I had a relationship where this I phoned this person uh, all the time, uh, maybe once a week, maybe once every week, two weeks, never got a call back. But the Holy Spirit always uh, pressed on me, oh, phone so-and-so today. And I go, oh well, you know, she doesn't phone me, phone so-and-so today and that went on for years i have to tell you Brad that went on for years and at the moment in her life when her husband dropped dead in front of her the first person she phoned was us and that's when you know that's when i that's when you know you have to have God in all of this you have to have the holy spirit um nudging you and leading you and um, helping you set up boundaries, uh, uh, knowing when to move and and when to pull back. Mm -hmm. So I would say, continue to go for it, Brad. If the Holy spirit is nudging you to keep these people uh, in your, in your contact, I would say, go for it.
3: Mm -hmm. Thanks Lynn. That's uh, that's really powerful. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Lynn, that's, That's awesome. I mean, that after Brad, I initially answered your question. I then had the thought of the role of prayer in knowing who to pursue and how far to pursue them. And um, when do relationships, when do you move on from a relationship, a disciple making relationship? I mean, all of those questions, there's not a cookie cutter mold for, um, nor should there be. But I, yeah, just as Lynn, you mentioned the Holy Spirit and the role of just. Prayer and seeking God with these questions. Um, I think that is huge and sometimes can be overlooked a little bit um, when we're making disciples, even. Um, we put a little bit too much pressure on ourselves, maybe, or too much responsibility on ourselves to figure it out and get it right. But wait, where's the Holy Spirit in this, in this person, in me? in our relationship, where is he going? Where is he not going? And just being led by the spirit in it all, even, even who do I pursue, right? Who, who, who should I disciple right now? And praying about it and asking the spirit to lead you in that. So Lynn, thank you for sharing that story.
3: Um, yeah, it's interesting in this case, both, both Jen and I uh, know this couple. And uh, Jen gets, we get along really well with them. And, and what's really interesting is that we, when we go into their business, like they, it's just like they just stop and they engage with us. Like they, you can tell that they really value um, our relationship. Uh, It's, it's just that, you know, we've, we've had this, you know, we've known them for now, I don't know, four or five years. And, and it just, we just kind of want it to, want it to move along a little bit. So anyway, it's, it's, it's uh, it's good. It's like it's an open door uh, to you know. They they really you can tell they're they're want, they're wanting to um, you know engage. So that's good.
2: I think too that part of this whole thing i'm sorry i had to slip out for part of this but the um the realization as following up on what lynn has said that God, god knows the bigger plan in all of this and for us to listen to those nudges and follow through on them and just be faithful to that like what a beautiful example of long term we do not know what is coming up or how that impact of a, of a word or a continually reaching out will be. We just don't know that. And so not to measure in this time and space, but to just hold it for the Lord to show us what to do and where to go. I, thanks for that encouragement. Lynn.
1: I think, I think also um, we are just in such an interesting time with this COVID and people, as, as you said, Louis, people just being put on hold. and uh, And as restrictions start to lift and people have the opportunity to go back into life, I think it'll be really interesting, um, to see how they prioritize and perhaps is an opportunity for us to invite people into something different, into some different rhythms, rather than just going back to their old routine of busyness. And, and I certainly think some of the families that I'm in connection with are really thinking about all the different kids activities. Um, do we need to be involved in so many different things? How, how do we continue to create some of the space that this virus has brought on us? But then there's the other extreme of I cannot wait to get this over and get out of here. And so um, I just think it is a very interesting interesting time and one for us really to, as as you've just been saying, really be listening to Holy Spirit, how would you have us respond in this time? How would you have us reach out? How can we do that whole reviewing of our time? Where am I spending my time and energy? And so that brings me to one of my questions. So if I am going to do my... (laughs) It was a long segue, but you know me, Lynn. Um, One... Oh, now you've made me forget my question. No, it's coming. Um, one of the things I wonder if we're going to do this um, review of our time, our, our audit of our time, you know, in the way, the way that we have done church, there is a lot of time and energy that has been put into very good things that are around our gathering together as a church. And so how do we as a community together with our different perspectives, our different strengths, our different giftings, how do we walk that potential shift together? Mm -hmm. Because we can't do all that we've done and do this. And add on. And add on. It's part of that whole time audit, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we love one another where we are with our giftings recognizing that we're in different places and how do we you know it's great if we turn around and disciple you know everybody on my street yet people i've been in relationship with 30 years dro- totally drop off my radar because i'm no longer gathering with them so that's my question i'm probably not one we're going to solve
4: today <laughs> i think i think you know we're, we're raising the topic and provoking the
3: questions first and foremost and and obviously it's something we're going to have to reflect, pray, discern and, uh, you know, hear God about. Well, but they're, they're genuine, you know, there's a genuine
1: tension there for sure, but there's a way through it, I think.
4: Yeah, let me, let me, let me address that. Um, yeah. Cause you're, you're looking at a guy who was leading large churches, church services, and now I'm, you know, ministering out of my home pretty exclusively. Um, it's, it's rethinking um, what like church ecclesia, the family of God, what it looks like from this standpoint, people come all the time and they get their notebooks out and they come to our Friday night dinner, or they come to one of our training sessions. And okay, we want to see what you guys do and take notes on your time together. Well, we call it Mozart house here. Okay. It's 24, seven, days a year years together in friendship and when you see us gathering you're seeing a lot of history you know and and that that from the one on one times from the time we're sitting in the hospital with people who are having surgery from the time moving people into their new homes you know it's a it's a long history and um it's therapy sessions it's all these things and you're just seeing the manifestation of it when we gather together and so It's helping people understand that, okay, Jericho Road is not about 1030 on Sunday morning. That's not what this is. You know, and so how do you, but that's how we're trained to think, okay? And that's how do you broaden that? And if your objective is to make disciples, and disciple making is a, a relational process, you can't do that in a church service. That doesn't mean we need to stop church services. That's not what I'm saying, you know, because there is something about the corporate coming together for the word of God and and singing. That's great. But it's going to be difficult to make disciples in that time in the relationships. And like I was saying earlier, show me a church service you guys could put on where young people would go, Oh wow, that's cool. I want to go back there. That was great. You know? Um, But what you can offer is your life, you know, your relationship and your friendships you know many of you have been in that at jericho road for years together and that friendship is powerful and an illustration of god and the gospel so when they see it now they're not going to see it in a church service but when they're at your home at a dinner table having conversations when they're in smaller group seeing that they're gonna, they're going to see yes these are disciples of jesus because they love one another <clears throat>
0: Well, let me keep moving forward. Um, My time is up now, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what? This is great. This is perfect. This is really what we hoped and and wanted for you guys just to be able to answer a lot of your questions in a practical way. So um, let me, uh, Ryan said it was okay if I kept going. Um, And so I'm going to, and we'll just shift down the road. Okay. If we need to. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you guys about is access to your space. Uh, this is usually one of the most impactful uh, chapters in Louis's book and one of the most impactful topics that we talk about. Uh, lot, we get a lot of feedback about hospitality of our homes. Um, so I want to share some ideas and thoughts with you. I know you guys also, some of you are practicers of hospitality and Of course, you can weigh in on the discussion and share your ideas and best practices and whatnot with with everybody else um, off screen, I guess, at a later time too. But I want to start by just telling you a story about my friend Julia. And this uh, friendship formed when I was a grad school student. I was in my mid-20s and I was 700 miles away from home. And we met through a mutual friend, and she invited me to her house. She didn't live very far from my grad school, so I could easily just walk there. So we settled on a time, and I was going to come over, and of course, a little, a little nervous jitters because it was a new friendship, and you never quite know what to expect, but I was eager for it, and I think she was too, and I knock on her door, and she opens the door. Uh, but in order for me to get into her house, I had to step over a mound of laundry, <laughs> and I peeked my head in the in the door, and her kids. She had two small kids at the time. Now she has four, um, but they were just running wild in the house in their diapers, mostly naked. Um, And toys everywhere, like I thought I'd maybe break an ankle on my way to get to the couch. And as I went to sit on the couch, like I had to wipe off puffs and cracker crumbs in order to sit down. And my first thought was, I got the wrong time. Like I'm here the wrong day. I got the time mixed up. Like I was like, she's not expecting me. And I felt horrible, but didn't really know in a new friendship, like what to say. Should I, should I not? Should we reschedule? So I just kind of, with my personality, I just sort of let it play out. And um, just shortly after, like, my mind was going a mile a minute, she, like, hugged me and said, looked right in my eyes and said, Josie, I am so glad you're here this morning. And it was, like, a great first time together in her home, Um, but I realized that what she had done for me, even in those first few minutes of being in, in her home, that first experience, um, what she did for me is that she shattered my stereotype of what hospitality should be. And in all honesty, it was an incredible relief to me. Because I realized, and now having a mom with little kids, that if I don't allow people into my message, house, then my, I, I, I won't have those friendships, right? If I'm not willing to let people see my real life and my real space that then those, those moments, those opportunities pass that I won't practice hospitality, but she decided, I don't care what my space looks like. I want to spend time with Josie. I want to get to know her. And she would ask questions, and she would listen, and she would ask me to go stir the, stir the pot of mac and cheese on the stove, and she would ask me to change Zoe's diaper. But she would listen, and she would spend time with me, and she asked, she invited me to participate in her family in those ways. And she prayed for me, and she prayed with me. And I would say, even to this day, Her house, her home is one of my favorite homes to be in because I know that I belong there, that I'm welcome there, that she's not pretending, um, she's not uh, cleaning things up to make things more presentable. She's just inviting me into what her reality is. So I know many of you probably don't have, you may have... uh, mounds of laundry, but you probably don't have a ton of toys or puffs scattered around the floor and probably you don't have two-year-olds running around, maybe grandkids. But there may be other excuses for you to not open your house. Maybe your house isn't clean enough. Maybe your house is too small. Maybe you're not a really good chef. You don't like to spend time in the kitchen and you don't want to think about making food for somebody else. Maybe your house is too big and you wonder, if I invite somebody to my house, how are they going to judge me? Like, I have a really nice house. What will they think of me? So no matter what your excuse would be or your hesitancy to invite people into your home, um, yeah, just want to encourage you that your home is an incredible tool for the kingdom of God. Um we also are able to use our homes as a means to serve those that we are discipling. There's a lot of service that happens when you're hosting somebody in your home. Um, so hospitality provides an opportunity for that. It also provides an opportunity for you to teach your disciple skills, kind of like what Ryan was talking about um, earlier, teaching people how to make a dish, entrusting one of like a side dish to your disciple. Maybe they're not that comfortable in the kitchen, or maybe they love being in the kitchen. Um, We had a guy come over and I was in a tight bind with my toddler and I needed an extra hand and Ryan was gone for the moment. So I handed this guy my baby and he like literally did not know what to do or how to hold the baby. And Junie, the baby like sensed it. She was like, what is, he, what is he doing? Um, it was a very awkward moment, but just like, I think it gives opportunities for your disciple to learn by watching of how to serve and how to participate and how to, how to, you're passing them. You're passing these tools of hospitality onto your disciple, which is also a beautiful thing. Um, Okay, this is a quote from um, ours truly, Louis Clark. He says, as the father's, and this is from his book, as the father, son, and spirit opened up their family at a great sacrifice, allowing us to be adopted as children of God so we can open up our homes to give an experiential demonstration of the love of God to others. I love that. It's hard work, it does take time, and it does cost money, but it's the sacrifice that empowers hospitality to be an illustration of the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, how many times have you guys felt most loved when you knew that it was, there was a cost to that person, right? Those are the most powerful moments of us feeling loved is when we know that there was a sacrifice involved. And hospitality is a sacrifice, and it can be more of a sacrifice in certain seasons of life than in others. Um, But how that is a beautiful experiential demonstration that you're offering people. Louie had mentioned earlier about a woman in our community named Judy and telling stories about how she really was an instrumental relationship in these young men's lives because they had never had um, a healthy relationship with a woman. And in addition to these young men, I also loved Judy and loved being around her. And she was very instrumental for me and my walk with the Lord. Um, Judy and I worked for the same organization, and so we you know shared similar space and saw each other throughout the day. And we ended up, she invited me to have lunch with her. Um, every pretty much every week, um, we would get together and we would share lunch together and talk. Um But the one thing that Judy did was break down my stereotype that a person who is mentoring, as we often call it, or who is discipling, that that person has to have their stuff together. They have to at least be far enough along beyond the disciplee that there is value in the relationship, right? For me, that I would see somebody older than me, wiser than me, having had more experience than me, that she had it figured out and she was going to just show me the way. Um, Judy is also in her 50s. And so she's 20 years older than me, Um, but what she did is she shattered that idea that we have to, as disciples, have to have it figured out, that we have to have the answers, that we have to show some proof that God has done great work in our lives because sin isn't as hard anymore, Um, or whatever your ideas that you've constructed might be um, about that. But what she did for me is she shared her life with me. She, she's single and always has been. And that is one thing that she shared with me very openly. Her struggle with singleness in some seasons of life, um, her doubt, um, her, some anger issues regarding some family members. I mean, she shared things with me and the first thing she ever shared with me I was like sitting across the table from her and I, I'm sure my eyes were like deer in headlight because I was like, what is this woman sharing with me? And why is she sharing this with me? Like, this is like deep and this is, this is probably confidential. You know, like I was just wowed that she entrusted that information to me and with me and that she didn't present any polished side of anything. She was just who she is. And for her to give me an insight into how she processes through all of that with God and God's word and the Holy Spirit in mind was so powerful for me to watch her process and watch her grieve and watch her move, um, you know, through her different sufferings that she has experienced in life. And for me, what that communicated was that I'm not a project to her. I am a friendship to her and it's not about her being way up here and me being way down here. It was, Hey, we're linking arms together and we're journeying together in this. And that to me was so beautiful. And I feel like um, absolutely informed me and how I pursue people and how I disciple people. So again, that idea of vulnerability. I don't know if you guys know of or have heard of Brene Brown. She's a favorite of mine. Um, She is 54 years old and she is a research professor at the University of Houston Graduate College of Social Work. And she has given the last two decades of her life and her career to researching um, themes like vulnerability, courage, authenticity, shame, and empathy. And she has a book called Daring Greatly. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have read it, and some of you may have no clue what I'm talking about, and that's fine. She wrote it in 2012. Um, It's called Daring Greatly, and it's a New York bestseller. Um, she has a Ted talk, uh, regarding this idea of vulnerability and it's had like a bajillion views. It's like one of the the top viewed Ted talks. Um, anyway, the tagline of the book daring greatly is how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. So her idea is that vulnerability is not weakness as much as we've convinced ourselves that it can be or is or seems to be. She said it is not weakness. It's actually our clearest path to courage, engagement, and meaningful connection. So she says that we are all relational and love and belonging is in our DNA, that we can't escape that. We, we desire that love and connection and that belonging in our lives. To pretend otherwise is to basically sell ourselves short and completely miss out. So life is vulnerable, right? We all know that. We've lived enough of life to know that you can't get through life unscathed, right? There, it is. Life is vulnerable. But her question is, how are we going to respond when we're confronted with emotional exposure. when Because uh, tied up with that, there's risk and there's uncertainty. Am I going to be accepted? Will I still belong if I share this information? Will I still be lovable? Like all of these like deep questions come to mind that often cause us to deflect the idea of vulnerability altogether. It's very scary. But what Judy did for me is she Well, here, let me, she told me that she's all in and she told me that she's showing up and she's letting herself be seen. She guided me through what she shared with me of where we could go in our friendship. She basically paved the path for our friendship. Because had she not shared that thing with me the first time, like one of the first times we, we met, we, we were knowing each other, building a friendship, but at some point she shared some very personal things with me. And if she hadn't chosen to do that, if she hadn't chosen to be vulnerable, then our friendship would probably be, have remained more surface level because I doubt I would have led out in that as the younger person. But again, she showed me where we could go in our friendship, that there was nothing that was out of bounds or out of touch. So that whole idea of, I like to call it brick theology. So what are you know the implications of disciple making? Um, I think we often maneuver in life as we meet people and we have these brick walls up. And that's normal and that's natural. Um, and some of us who have been hurt more, Our brick walls are taller and thicker. Um, But it's because of fear. It's because of distrust. We're trying to self-protect. Maybe isolation seems better to us. Um, And if you've been hurt by someone, it's really hard to recover from that, right? Emotionally, it's hard to go there again with somebody if you've been hurt or betrayed by what you shared with somebody. But also asking ourselves, at what what price are we paying? When we shut down and disengage and no longer risk that emotional exposure, because that's what bonds us to people, is knowing, oh my gosh, she feels that way too, or really, he goes through that too? It's telling people you're not alone, and that's what we all want to hear, is that we're not alone. And if somebody is in this with us together, somebody gets it, somebody understands, Somebody's praying with us, helping process life with us. And that's priceless. Um, of course, quoting the great C.S. Lewis, to love is to be vulnerable. And that kind of came up in some of your questions. To, to love is basically opening yourself up to hurt in a lot of ways. And your disciple is going to hurt you. Um, but it's it's recognizing that, it's being aware of that, it's coming to accept that at the beginning um, and knowing that that is the way of love. And as we lay down our life for our friends, it's bound to happen and it happened to Jesus too. Um, some of you guys got to meet my sister-in-law, Morgan, on the call. Um, I I texted her this last week Um, Monday and Tuesday were really hard days for me. Um, I felt like I was battling anger and responding really poorly to my kids in most moments of the day that day. And I feel like when I'm in, when I'm um, just struggling, I find myself texting just a couple people or calling a couple people um, because I know that they have the word sewn deeply in them and that's what I'm going to get and that's what I get with Morgan she she probably knows that when I send her these texts where I'm like super full of shame or confusion or anger or whatever it is I usually reach out to her because I know that she is a woman of God and a woman of the word and that's what I'm going to get because I know that's what I need to hear And so she texted me this last week and I asked her permission if I could share. And she said, yes, she texted me lots of great things. But one of the things that stuck out to me was your areas of weakness and imperfections communicate hope because they demonstrate your need for a savior. And if your disciple doesn't see a need for a savior in your life, will they see a need for a savior in their own life? and that actually doesn't communicate to them that you're a failure or that you should be further along the path than you are it communicates hope to them because you are in need of a savior and how do you how do you interact with that what are what are the implications of that on your life and then your disciple can see how that can be true for them so those are my ideas that's what i wanted to share with you and i just want to end land the plane I guess right here. So Ryan and I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Fogo de Chao. I know I'm saying that wrong, (laughs) but it's a Brazilian steakhouse. And I took Ryan there for a birthday a long time ago, a birthday of his. And it's even to this day, Ryan would say if I'm gonna have a last supper, like I'm gonna go to that steakhouse. Because I kid you not It is a true experience. There are men that come to your table and they're dressed in like fun, Tarasco type of uniforms. And they have these big skewers of meat and they shave off the meat for you, right fresh there, right right onto your plate. And they bring you meat and more meat and more meat. Of course, there's a salad bar, but Ryan feels like there's no reason to waste space stomach on a salad when you can have more meat. And they'll just keep coming to your table. And there's all sorts of meat, bacon-wrapped steaks, um, chimichurri-topped salmon. There's exotic seasonal vegetables, um, imported cheese. And again, more meat that's savory and just melts in your mouth. It is an incredible experience. And as we were telling friends about this, they kind of nodded and, you know, raised their eyebrows and they were happy for us. But it wasn't until months later where we were able to take our friends to the same steakhouse, of course, for lunch, because it's half half cost, half price at lunch, um, that they were able to see, as we said, what a life-changing experience this food is. And, um, and so I'm going to read a, a quote because I feel like um, the table of hospitality is Kind of acts as the same in the same way. I don't know if you've heard of Ruth Cho Simmons. She's one of my favorites. Um, if you don't have this book, get it, or get it for your wife, or get it for your daughter, or a friend. Um, but she says people who are invited in and given a seat at our tables observe and receive relationship provision nurturing and welcome in a way no mere invitation to church can provide instead of handing someone information about jesus or an invitation to easter service or telling them that the gospel is life-changing we give them the opportunity to experience it through our hospitality and so the big idea here the the big thought comes from first thessalonians which is um a huge impetus for what we do and why we do it and how we do it is Paul saying this to the church in Thessalonica, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. And that's what it means to give people access to your life. So a couple questions just to wrap up our time.
4: Is Ryan? Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah.
4: Oh, no, i misunderstood. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. So how am I being hospitable with my time, my space and myself? And what rights or what fears am I holding onto that keep me from being generous with my time and my space and myself? And maybe one of those areas is harder for you to give people access to than another. And so just encouraging you to kind of, Ponder that and sit in that and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in that. Why is that? How can you move out of that? How can you heal in any ways that you need to? Um, In what ways are you encouraged today um, in any of those areas? And then finally, who's around you and who will you give access to? And we mentioned earlier that love limits. So this type of access, you're not going to be able to give to everybody on your street or everybody in your church you're going to have to be selective love limits we don't want to swamp the boat we want to love people well and give people access and that's just going to be a few people and so who is it that you want to give the key to your life to so those are my thoughts um, so
4: what's what's next is ryan ryan there yeah, yeah. okay we want to do. We want to take a short break and then come back and finish it up at
3: twelve thirty. Tracy, what was the um, book you quoted from?
0: Um, this one here. Yes. Yeah, it's called "Beholding and Becoming," and I can I can type it down. I'll type it in the chat and I'll t- I'll type the author's name too. Okay.
4: Thank oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, do you think we need to take a 5 10 15 minute break or Yeah, we do.
3: We do. We-